Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Behind the Numbers. This is the show where we dig deeper to understand what really matters most in business. I'm Dave Bookbinder. I'm a best-selling author and senior director of valuation services at CFGI. Really help my clients with their most important accounting and finance issues. I invite you to connect with me after the program. You can find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. Today, we're going to be talking about an issue that's impacting every business everywhere, and that's the high cost of healthcare. And we're going to be doing that with my guest, Anthony Carlozo, who is a senior consultant at Tryon. Anthony, welcome to Behind the Numbers. It's great to be here, David. Thanks well, for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure. Uh, before we jump into the hot button issues, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about who you are and a little bit about Tryon. Okay, so my name is Anthony Carlozo. I'm a senior consultant for Tryon. Uh, I've been with the organization for about eight years, and um, we're an employee benefits consulting brokerage and administration firm. And I go into companies and help them solve the riddle of healthcare and, and how to contain costs, how to implement a sound strategy, and, and help them with the day-to-day -day issues so their HR team can be more strategic. Great. Let's jump, jump right into one of the big issues, right? So why are healthcare costs so high? Well, there's a couple reasons. Um, one, one reason is price. So the price of services are increasing um, you know, at, at a pretty fast clip. clip. So there's two areas, you know, in specifically. One is drug costs, um, year over year of increasing, maybe five to six percent, and then you have uh, hospital utilization costs are increasing. So, um, and what's happening is it's forcing trend each year to be five six percent overall, and employers are putting their hands behind their back and basically saying, "Uncle, I, 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 there's how much more can I, you know, can I do?" And it's infecting the employee because the employee is looking at it and saying, my deductibles are going up, my out-of-pocket costs are going up, and it's outpacing you know, inflation. So, it's, um, so really the price of healthcare is a major factor of why you know, the costs are going up. Yeah, so everything you said there resonates with everybody, whether you're an employee or a business owner or an executive inside an organization. What can companies do? What options are available to help alleviate this cost burden? It, it, it's a great question, and I get it all the time. And um, unfortunately, it's, a lot of it has to determine on what your size of your company um, is. The companies that are basically under 100 employees, I think they struggle more because it's basically a situation where they're going to go in, market the carriers, they can change plan design, they can change employee contribution, which is all relevant even to large employers, but the large employers or larger have an opportunity to affect the price of healthcare, whether it's looking at drug spend, whether it's going self-funded, whether it's looking at reference-based pricing. So there's, there's levers that these companies can pull to actually have more containment from a cost perspective. Would it make sense to unpack those? You rattled off three, um, self-fund, uh, I forget the middle one, but you also mentioned reference-based pricing. Would it make sense to yeah, sure. dive into those a yeah. little bit? So, so they're probably the three most popular, um, I would say, cost containment strategies that I see consistently. One is the idea of going self-funded. And um, typically what you found years ago was companies that are four or 500 employees starting to get into that uh, funding arrangement. Now what you see is companies, 100 employees looking at it. And not to dive into all the details and get muddy, but the difference between a fully insured and a self-funding when you look at the rate components is probably five and a half percent. So if you have a $2 million medical budget and you can take five and a half percent just by the way that you fund it, um, more CFOs, more CEOs are more open to taking a look, look at you know, what is the risk behind this. The second part is, is a prescription drug. So prescription drug, 
actually represents anywhere from 26 to 30 percent of a company's medical spend. So it's a big portion of that. And, and this dovetails into self-funding. So if you're self-funded, you can carve out your Rx to a PBM like, a, like a, a CVS or an ESI or an Optum. And what that will do is take, a, it, it, employers can look and save anywhere from 15 to 20% you know, on, their, on their spend. And that's just affecting the price of it, which is what you're trying to do you know, from a cost containment perspective, not change the quality, not change the drugs, more or less change how you buy it. And then the third one, which is getting a lot more press these days, um, and I don't like to call it the silver bullet, but at the end of the day, an employer can really look at it and save 25% of their spend, is looking at reference-based pricing, which is really the core of the price issue. Because what you have today is, you can go to three different hospitals, for example, for an MRI. One could be 5,000, one could be 3,000, one could be 5,500. And what these reference-based companies do is they basically go to the hospitals and say, we're either gonna pay you a percent over cost or 20% or whatever fare is over Medicaid. And you can take a service like an MRI that could be $5,000 and it turns into a cost of $400. But to do it, you need to be self-funded. And so the whole idea, the first building block to some of this cost containment strategies is to be self-funded. So there's some, um, there's some real opportunities. Now there's pros and cons to each of these things, but our job is to leave no stone unturned, and our job is to say, here's the upside, here's the downside, here's the financial implications, not only to the employee, but to the employer. So you get a really full perspective of what's, you know, what's happening. How often do the solutions involve changing providers? Because ultimately that's pretty disruptive for the workforce. Um, it, it's a good question. So. It can, it can result in changing providers. If you go self-funded, you could stay with the same medical provider, the same network, but now your funding mechanism is different. And that's really no change to the employee. It's more back office. Um, it, it's more the internal HR and finance departments will, will see some changes of how to reconcile you know, their, their payments and so forth. Um, with, with Rx, it's, it's um, there's some disruption there because you're going from an embedded card or embedded service with the carrier and now carving it out to a different PBM. So when you do that, they have different formularies. But it'd be no different if you were changing from UHC to Aetna to Cigna. They all have different formularies. But it is, there's some disruption and, and you have to be able to spell out the disruption, what it means to the employee base. With reference-based pricing, probably the most disruptive. And PBM is pharmacy benefit manager? Yep, pharmacy benefit manager. Just to clarify some yep. terminology here. Um, yeah, I, I talk about these things and I forget that <laughs> we have 300 different acronyms. So. And that's why I'm here to try and parse out the letters. Uh, Anthony, for the folks who are watching and listening who want to learn more about you, how they can contact you, what's the best way to do that? Uh, cell phone is 856-220-8458. And my email address is anthony.carloza at trion, T-R-I-O-N dash M-M-A dot com. Mad respect for people who give out their cell phone number on these kinds of conversations. It's all good. So. It's a company cell phone. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> Call them up any hour of the day and night. Yeah. No, no prank calls for pizza. Um, we only have about five minutes or so to go in this first segment, and I know that you're not going to be able to answer this, but I'm going to throw a question okay. at you anyway. As, as we're getting into election season, healthcare obviously is a political football. It's a political right. hot button. Uh, an hour was devoted on the, like the last uh, 
uh, Democratic debate of the three-hour program, right, right, about healthcare. If you were on the stage and you were asked, how do we solve the healthcare crisis, what might you say? Or what might you say to the candidates who are trying to speak about healthcare so that their message is more on point and realistic as they're talking to the population? Yeah, I, I think um, I would answer that and say our system's broken. I mean, there's definitely some flaws to it. Um, I what I see every day is that organizations and employees are struggling with price. And when I look at the options that are out there, whether it's, it's PBM, carve-out, or reference-based pricing, they're trying to get to the heart of changing and affecting price. So my, my um, I think the other thing, too, that I see is that the political candidates are not on a high deductible health plan. They, they really don't probably understand the mechanics behind what's involved and the out, the out of pocket costs that an you know, everyday person can, um, you know, can expect to receive. So at the end of the day, um, I, I think there's a disconnect between whether, you know, our political parties and what they try to throw out there as an answer to the solution. But um, I, I could tell you what I've seen, like in the state of North Carolina, some talk in California, the whole idea of bringing down the cost of the services, I think would be a good start. I think another thing that would be a good start is you have employers under 100 employees, and that probably represents the majority of business in our country, that they get no information about what their medical spend is, no claims data, nothing. So if, if I were them, I would focus on how to make it more transparent so that they can at least see what's going on and have an understanding. They might not like the data, but at least understand what it represents and then find a way where they can, um, they, they can kind of customize, or not customize, but at least um, standardize what the cost of services are throughout the country, which is really hard to do because certain belts you know, have different cost structures. So that's, that's kind of where I would that's, that's where I would stand or get up there and talk to people yeah, about. That's a good answer. It's about empathy. They, they really can't relate because they're not living what the day-to-day yeah, -day yeah. individuals live in. You know, I mean, one story that I kind of tell is that, you know, and this is just me getting up on my, on my pedestal, but like before you had Obamacare, which is great in its merit, like it makes sense. Like if there's a way we can insure people, I'm all for it. But before you had that, you know, people were going to the emergency room and not paying. That's ultimate, and it still happens today, but they would not pay, and then, you know, you, you fast forward and you have Obamacare, and what's happening is the same people that are, that are having services, what, what the public doesn't understand is their deductibles are four or $5,000 before the insurance even pays. So they go into the emergency room, they get a bill for $3,500. Do you think those people are paying it? They're not, they're not paying it. The, the hospital's still you know, getting bad debt. So I don't think they fixed the problem, but the, way, but the government is subsidizing these premiums and the premiums are being paid, but the hospitals are out. And that's why you have, that's why this cost, this hospitalization cost, a lot of it has to do with bad debt. And, and they have, I think they have to solve for that somehow. Yeah, that's a great point. Don't go anywhere. Unfortunately, we've got to take a quick commercial break. You don't go anywhere either. We'll be right back on Behind the Numbers after this quick break. Organic produce and grocery items, all from the finest purveyors. We're Steli Market Fresh, from our family to yours. RVN TV is a platform for people of any industry to share their story. 
Over 285,000 viewers are tuning in to RVN TV shows monthly. We guarantee a great experience that you'll be sharing with everyone you know while increasing your personal and company's brand awareness. But what is your brand? According to Forbes, it's a combination of your logo, your product, your design and feel, and your personality. Did you know that aside from being a guest, we offer even more opportunity to boost your brand? Adding your company logo and website on screen during your interview will allow viewers to recognize your brand instantly. Incorporating images and video clips is another great way to showcase your product during your live segment. Let viewers see how good you really are. And most importantly, there's you and your interview. For less than the cost of a newspaper, direct mail, or a magazine ad, you can leave our studio and within 48 hours have a permanent digital copy of your live segment to link to your social media, embed into your company website, or use in email marketing. Investing in your brand is so very important, and we can't wait to have you as a guest. Shelter dogs aren't broken. They've simply experienced more life. If they were human, we would call them wise. They would be the ones with tales to tell and stories to write. Hey everyone, welcome back to Behind the Numbers. I'm Dave Bookbinder. Today we're talking about healthcare with Anthony Carlozo, who's a senior consultant at Tryon. And we covered a lot of territory in the first segment, Anthony. Uh, I want to kick off the second segment by maybe having you expound on some of those subjects that we talked about before the break in maybe a, a storytelling kind of fashion. Do you have any examples that sure. you might be able to share that uh, the audience can relate to? Yeah, I, I think this story will at least kind of set the tone of one what I do, how I do it, our approach. Um, and and um, so I have, I have a client. I mean, he's been a client for about five years. I'd call him more of a friend than a client, right? Um, it's a guy that I know, and we were having dinner um, one time. And, and, and you know, if you, when you know somebody and you know something's bothering them, it, it's yeah. like all over their face. And, you know, he was... Yeah, he had his glasses off and rubbing his eyes, and I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm like Jim, like what's wrong? He's like, he's like Anthony, we 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 got like a 24% rate increase on our, you know, our our, um, our health insurance. He goes, not only is it gonna, it's gonna cost us like five to seven hundred thousand dollars. And he's like, what do I tell my employees? Well, like yeah. what? Do, like, and that's what these business owners face. Like when they get these increases, they look at the bottom line and. It's, it's one thing about the money, but it's what do you tell your employees? And, and you could tell, like, he was just like, you know, he, he, would, he, would, he was having problems with it. And, and at the end of the day, like, I kind of sat back because as a consultant, like, I'm vulnerable at this point. Like, I just can't tell him, oh, it's going to go away and we're going to fix this thing, right? Like, so I'm, I'm like, taking a little bit of pause and... Um, because he's, he's a friend, he's my client, and we have to do the right thing. And I kind of sat back and I said to him, I said, Jim, I said, I don't, I don't know what the outcome is gonna be, but I know that if we leave no stone unturned, I know if we go through the process, and, and I kind of outlaid some of that process. We go to the carriers, we do a self-funded projection, you know, we do an RX projection, um, you know, we, we, we send out these RFPs. I said, we really look at the employee contributions. I said, and then try to figure out what, if we're gonna make any kind of changes, what would be acceptable? 
Like, I can go in and save money off of that renewal, but let's do something that's in line with your culture and what you think the employees. And, and, and it kind of gave him a little bit of peace. I said, you just, you know, let us go through the process. I can't guarantee it, but I know good things will come if we just kind of walk through the process and leave no stone unturned. And at the end of the day, we brought that 24% rate increase down to a negative three with wow. no plan design changes and no, um, um, no employee contribution changes. 24% down to negative three. Now, that doesn't happen to everybody, but if we didn't go through the idea and the math and the analysis and all the analytics, maybe another consulting firm would have settled or got them a 12% increase and said, oh, that's fine, you know, we cut it in half. So some of the things we did was a self-funded projection and immediately our self-funded projection was like a negative, like uh, it was a negative five. And we're like, where are you getting these numbers? And that was a big lever for us to get the blues to come down. But ultimately they wound up switching carriers and they went to Aetna. And they got, a, you know, and for us as consultants, we're like, why take the risk being, full, you know, self-funded if you're going to get a fully insured rate that's just as good? Like, yeah. like let them carry the risk. Yeah, I love and it when we get did. into the numbers or go behind the numbers here. So what you're yeah. speaking to really is the, the ROI of your process. Yeah, yeah. And, and the thing is, like, but you have to be vigilant. And I can tell you that the reason... Um, you know, I do well, and the reason that our company does well, and, and, and my brand is, I treat it like it's my money, right? I, I'm very sensitive to that, and the thing is, and the reason I win business is because my competition falls asleep at the wheel, and they're not doing that work to make a difference, even if it's two, three percent. For this guy who has a three million dollar medical budget, that's 60 grand. That's 60 grand in his pocket. Right. If we save, you know, three percent, two percent on a on a, you know, so I take that seriously. I take it as a challenge. And and I every year it's starting over. You know what you did in the past is what you did in the past. And that's my mentality. And 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 I know that more times than not, when you just go through the process, good things are going to happen. But if you're if you're you know, you rest on your laurels, you're going to settle. And that's when you get replaced. Yeah, no question. For the audience who would like to learn more about you, how they can work with you, what's the best way to get in contact, Anthony? Uh, cell phone is 856-220-8458. And my email address is anthony.carloso at trion, T-R-I-O-N-M-M-A.com. Awesome. I want to just kind of dovetail on what you just alluded to there. And what you were speaking to implicitly was your character, your tenacity. You mentioned that you care. Yeah. Um, and, and I happen to know Anthony uh, for several years now, and I know a little bit about his character. But I, I want to kind of call you out on that because I know that you're uh, a modest guy. But I, I know from experience that you are what we call a go-giver in the business. Um, you're active in networking and helping people. Talk a little bit about that, if you would just so, so people can get a flavor for who you are. Yeah, I'd say so. Um, my philosophy just in life is what you cast out, you get back. Um, and I believe it doesn't come from the same person. I believe if you're out there and you're trying to help people, it comes back to you, sometimes tenfold and not from the same person. So, um, and I've kind of lived that not only in business, so you know, when I, when I really try to help people, I, I, I put pressure on my teams you know, to go that extra mile. I treat clients like family. Um, you know, in a world where we have a lot of jargon, I try to make it simple and, and um, easy to digest and understand. 
um, from a personal perspective, um, I spend a lot of time networking, a lot of time helping folks in transition, um, whether they're CFOs or HR folks. And, and quite frankly, I try to give them hope. I try to give them another club in their bag, some ideas, some introductions to meet people because in my world, that's how it goes around. And I've been fortunate. So after, you know, over the past seven, eight years, I've built this brand that, you know, not only am I passionate about what I do, um, you know, I try to go every day. Every day I try to help somebody in some way, whether it's giving you, know, you a referral to somebody or making an introduction or helping that person in transition or even coaching some of their sales directives and say, here's what I do, it might help your organization. And I don't expect anything back. And, but it, it served me well and I build a brand and I think people know, like when I talk about this stuff, I get passionate because yeah. I know I can help them. I'm just looking for the opportunity to show them. Uh, it definitely shows and you're definitely a passionate guy and I know you're doing great work and what you describe there is a philosophy that anyone in business or in life certainly should adhere to. You also do speaking gigs, right? So people who are watching and listening, if they want to have you come in to talk to their organization or speak at a conference, you do that as well? Yeah. So um, actually this uh, Friday I'm going to be at the Greater Valley Ford Sh uh, Sherm doing um, a presentation basically on sound benefit strategies. So we're going to talk about what are the new things that companies are doing with benefits as well as some of the cost containment levers that we talked about earlier in the show. Um, I also do uh, speaking engagements for AICPA and I've been um, on their speaking, I guess, circuit for their CFO conference for the last three years. Uh, so between SHRM and AICPA kind of keeps me busy, but I'm always looking to do, you know, uh, new adventures for, for different organizations and try to give them, you know, the roadmap. I like to say I'm like the navigation pilot. I, I take off and land safely, get them where they want to go and get them there on time and on budget. Very so. good. And I love it when the beverage cart comes down yeah, the aisle, too. Uh, lastly, you're a rock drummer. I don't know if I'm allowed to mention that, but uh -huh. for the folks who are watching and listening, it's probably not a bad thing for them to know so they can calibrate some of the behaviors. Yeah, so if you see me tapping, it's uh, my feet go, and it's, um, I, I've been playing since the time I was 13. I uh, was playing in clubs from the time I was 16. I still play today in a cover band, and uh, I've kind of rejuvenated my um, my musical, I would call it, uh, passion and creativity. So uh, it's fun. I got to tell you, there's probably better people in prison than the music industry, Ooh. and that's not, I'm not. <laughs> I'm taking a little jab, but um, I would do it all over again. I spent many of my years in my 20s uh, thought I was going to be the next U2, but um, I learned a lot. It's helped me with speaking, being comfortable on stage. Um, and using that creativity into what I do every day. Yeah, and it's a good segue because you can still be a rock star yeah. in business too, yeah. even, even if you're not a rock star like yeah. Bono. Got to come out and see us. Absolutely. So <laughs> let me shift gears here because we only have about like three or four minutes to go in the segment, and it's great that people now understand a little bit more about you and your why and so right. forth. But can we talk HSAs for a moment? Sure. Uh, a lot of people don't really understand the benefits of HSAs. I'm hoping maybe you can enlighten some of the folks who are watching and listening. In particular, maybe even some of the uh, the younger, the millennial employees who are just kind of entering the workforce and are learning about uh, this whole phenomenon right. of the cost of health care. Well, it's the best, best tax law in the country. I, I mean, it's a great savings vehicle. What's interesting is that um, we're starting to see reports of HSAs actually on the decline a little bit. Um, there's this whole, um, um, there's, there's a whole host of folks who believe that the high deductible health plan is um, 
is, is making folks not go and get their health care because it's all out-of-pocket costs until you reach your deductible. So there's, this, there's one side that says it's great, and there's one side that says, well, maybe the numbers are changing. Um, I'm a believer in it. I think it's the best tax law in the country. For the employers out there, and I'm just going to make it easy, they, they make sense and they're going to be effective if you communicate it. Communication is a very underrated service from your consulting firm. And to really be, I'll call it an agile employer, one that really um, takes an effort into education with um, not just HSAs, but any kind of benefit that you have, are going to be better off with the utilization. They're going to be better off with how many folks enroll. So at the end of the day, um, part of the onus is on the company to, to make sure that they're articulating the benefits of you know, the HSA and why they would want to do it. Millennials um, and, and, you know, your, your Generation Xs, I, I think they're, they're starting to gravitate to them, and they should because they're younger and they're not going to have as many health issues. When you have, like, a workforce that's a manufacturing and maybe their average age is up there in their 50s, they might be more suited to, like, your traditional PPO plans where they're co-pays. So it all, a lot of it also depends on what the demographics, but they're changing. You know, we have five generations now in our workforce. Yep. And, and so the millennials and Gen Xs and, you know, and, and so forth, they're, they're more um, amenable to, you know, these high deductible plans. Yeah, it's the world they sort of grew up in, yeah. right? In the same way that they've grown up always yeah. having a smartphone in their hands. Yeah, I, I like it just because of the tax law. You know, and, and business owners should like it because of the tax law. And it's another way that they can, you know, um, use that you know, those, those deductions um, to be tax-free. Yeah. You said something in the first segment about smaller companies, which are the preponderance of the privately held companies in the U.S., right. not having access to as much data. And we only have maybe 60 or 90 okay. seconds here. So but in that limited time that we have left, what's your counsel for those companies on how they can, we'll say, be competitive okay. in the absence of, of that kind of disclosure? So there's a number of things they can do. One, they have to go out to market. You know, and that what means going out the market is look at different carriers. They should look at bundling all their services. So if they offer life, dental, vision, you know, voluntary products, put it all with the same carrier, the medical pet carrier, and they'll give you discounts off of the, the medical. Um, they really should look at how they, they structure their employee contributions. A lot of companies will just say 25%, 75% employer, and I ask them why they do that, and they're like, We've always done it that way. Well, think about, you know, it, there might be different structures that are, you know, if you tier it more towards single enrollment and then charge more for family, that might be more in line with what your culture. You're starting to see companies do spousal waivers and sp spousal surcharges. All these kind of things companies can do. Um, setting up what's called Section 105s or HRAs, where they pump up their deductible and then they refund the employee back the difference. So they'll get a lower premium if they have a $5,000 deductible versus a $2,000 deductible. And then if the, company, if the employee goes over a certain amount, then the employer will reimburse them back. It's almost a way of self-funding the deductible, but they get lower premiums, you know, to offset. And, and it usually can work out where the employer makes out because of that. Yeah, you said something previously too about the idea or the notion that uh, with high deductibles, deductibles a lot of times people may not opt to get health care. Right. Why is that a bad idea? And uh, well, I, I mean, you know, there, there, some people live paycheck to paycheck, and when you're on a high deductible plan, um, 
what will happen is when you go to a doctor, it's not a $20 copay. It's 90, it's $125, whatever the contracted you know, amount is from the carrier. And that's what's happening and people are like, hmm, do I really wanna go and spend $125? And what happens is you, you find there's some folks that say the numbers are, are showing that people aren't getting care because they gotta pay too much for the upfront cost. And the great circle of life then continues. In the absence of care, we have more ailments. Yep. And you said up front, yeah. the, the system is broken. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. You know, I, I think for employers, um, you can't leave any stone unturned and you gotta be agile. You gotta start communicating with your employees and try to, you know, our, our business is very complicated and there's a lot of acronyms and it's, you know, it's, it's hard for me and I'm in it. I can only imagine the rank and file employee looking at something, well, you know, what do I do? Where do I go? You know. and one place they can go is to give you a call. They can, you can call me. And on that note, we've got to end the conversation. Anthony, it was great having you here great. today. Uh, we've been talking health care, uh, employee benefits, the high cost of health care, solutions that employers can use to help to mitigate those challenges with Anthony Carlozo of Tryon. I'm Dave Bookbinder. We'll see you next time on Behind the Numbers.